winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 38th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Olva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. Today I talk with Catherine Evans. Born Catherine McLean in Tobermory, Catherine now lives near Dervig. In the first episode of these podcasts, you'll hear Duncan McGilp talking about Catherine's dad, Donald Langemel. One of the particular highlights of this episode is how Catherine paints a picture of a life full of fun and adventure with her father and tells tales of his younger years at Langemel. In this episode, you'll hear Catherine talk about her life in Tobermory as a child, the shops along the main street and the many characters of the town. It's so good to hear McGochan mentioned again. She also talks a little bit about Duncan and his family too. She then goes on to talk about student life in Belfast at the dawn of the Troubles and where her adventures took her later in life, leading to coming back home to Mull. At the end of the episode, we return to the past to talk about Catherine's grandfather's shop in Upper Tobermory at the back of Quilen and the drama festival and its importance to the communities of the island. There's a fine level of detail in this episode that I think will really help flesh out life in Mull in the past for listeners in the future. Her reminiscences of going to see Lachie McNeil over in Oskimal will be of particular interest to anyone who wants to know what life was like in houses here before the coming of electricity. Don't forget to check out our website, whatwedointhewinter.com, for links to the characters and places mentioned in this episode. I'll be back at the end of the episode with a few more bits and bobs. Now, I'm very pleased to hand you over to Catherine Evans. So who are you? I'm Catherine Evans, but was born Catherine McLean. Where were you born? I was born in Tubermory, and I could show you the bedroom window in Nergal Terrace where I was born. Were your parents from Tubermory? Uh, no, my dad was from Langmill originally, although lived in Tubermory most of his life. But my mum was from England <gasps> and came up during the Second World War, and that they met at a dance one night. Not that my dad was a dancer, but he had come to take the band home in his vehicle. So <laughs> that's how they met. It's lovely. And where is your mum from in England? Uh, from Wallasey on Merseyside. Oh, right. Cool. Mm-hmm. So do you have strong connections back there as well? I've got cousins still living there, yes. And did they come up and see you when you were younger here as well? They did. We had loads of visitors in the summer who came to stay, as you can imagine. And so did your mum uh, sort of keep her English accent all the way through as well? It changed a bit, I think. Some people who weren't too familiar with a Mull accent would think she was Scottish because it did become a lot softer. Aye. Yes. So your dad, Donald Langemel, Donald Langemel, for listeners in the podcast previously, was mentioned by Duncan McGill. Duncan served his apprenticeship with your father, I think, and worked in the garage with uh, with your father. Uh, Where was your dad's garage? It was at Lechug, where uh, the outdoor clothing shop is now. That was my dad's garage. And uh, as a child, I remember it as being huge. But I walk into that shop now and think, I don't remember it being this small. (laughs) But it was amazing what they could do in there. And did they have any space outside or was it just that shop? It was just just that, really. There was a bit of land where the car park is now. There wasn't that huge space in those days. The sea came much closer than it does now. Uh, So it was a wee bit of space outdoor. But all the work was actually done in the garage. 
And had there been a, a garage before your dad's time or was your dad the first to establish it? Uh, no, Alec Yule owned it originally. Alec Yule, who later, later on owned Yule's shop where Tackling Books is uh-huh. now. He owned that. It was Yule Engineering, Alec Yule Engineering, I think. And my dad bought it from him. Ah, right, okay. So was that post-war? Yes, it was, yes, because my dad had been away in the RAF during the war. Would you know where he'd been at all? Uh, some places, mainly Yorkshire. It was with Bomber Command. He was um, he was a fitter in the same group as uh, Leonard Cheshire. Who was Leonard Cheshire? Cheshire, I don't know. Uh, group, group, I think he was a group captain. He was... He he was leader of Bomber Command, I think. I'm not very good in history, right. but very high up anyway on that during the Second World War. Donald Langemol, I guess with a name like that, he comes from mm. Carsig? No, <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> um, I guess he's from, yes. Yes, he's Lang- from Langemol. He was actually born at Langemol, Langemol Farmhouse. My um, great-grandfather had taken over the lease of Langemol back in... 1889, I think. And then after he died, my grandfather carried on the lease. And uh, so my dad was born at Langemo and was there until, I think it was round about 1920 when the lease came to an end and my grandfather decided not to renew it. Was there any reason specifically for that? Was it... I was never told, no. Okay. No. I don't know if my grandfather had had enough of farming by then, or I just don't know. Do you know what size the Langemol farm was in those days at all? I don't know, honestly, but I do know it was a very good farm. It was good ground, and a lot of people say it should never have been put to trees, as it was Aye. latterly. Of course, yeah. So it covered over towards Kildavie and all that over That's there. That's right, yes. Ah, right. I didn't know that. Mm, it's, re- it's really strange, Um after Sarah Schofield died, she owned Langmall House. After she died, Kevin Luscombe was looking after the house until it was sold. And he said to me, would I like to go down and see around it? Because I'd never been actually inside. This is just a few years ago when they had just cut down the trees at Langmall. And we drove round down in his Land Rover. And I just went back to being a five-year-old because mm-hmm. the view opened up without the trees and that was what reminded me of my childhood because we had gone so often to Langemo on a good summer's day to have a picnic on a Sunday because, it, you know, it meant a lot to our family. That's lovely. Did your dad talk about the experience of growing up in Langemo quite a lot? He did a bit, yes. Yes, and stories like uh, he got onto the back of a pig to go for a ride on it and it tipped him into the pond and <laughs> things like that and uh, nearly getting trampled by horses when he fell off the back of one of the plough horses one day when he was little. There were a pair of them, I think, my granddad was ploughing and uh, my granddad was on the lead horse. My dad was sitting on the back of the, the second horse and somehow fell off. <laughs> Dear. I remember hearing years ago, I think it was Ian Morrison, talking about the Steddings um, having a great place, uh, being a great place to have Cayleys as well. Mm, I could imagine, yes. Yes, they, they came up for sale now. I don't know, it might have been late 50s, early 60s. And my great aunt, who had spent the first 20 odd years of her life at Langemol, because uh, she never married and stayed on with my grandfather and grandmother, she thought of buying the Steadings because they were only £50 at the time. Well, of course, £50 in the late 50s would still be still a lot of money, but a bit yeah. of a bargain still. Yeah. 
And how many were there in your father's generation at all in the family? Just my father. He was an only child. Right. Yes. Wow. That's quite an isolated upbringing then, I guess. Yes, but strangely enough, although my mother was one of ten children, my father was an only child. I have much closer cousins, but of course they're only second cousins and third cousins, twice removed, that sort of thing. And yet I know them far better than I do most of my cousins who live down in England. We're much closer family. So there's ten in... The generation before, how, do you know how many of the family were brought up in Langemal itself? Mm, there was my grandfather. He was the oldest of three boys. He had a brother, George, who became a doctor and spent much of his working life out in Africa. And there was Charles, who became a farmer, but not on Mull. Mm-hmm. And Morag was the daughter of the family, the youngest uh, so my grandfather, being old, the oldest, was the one expected to carry on with the farm. It was always exciting when Uncle George, as I called him, came home from Africa because he had so many tales to tell and he used to send me postcards with exotic stamps on them <laughs> when he used to go in the 1950s. He was, I don't know, he'd be getting on in age then, but he kept on working till the day he died, more or less. So the Charles McLean then, is that Charles McLean of the, the place names book? No, no. Ah. Uh, the, Charles, that, the Charles McLean who was born at Langamo was his gra- um, uncle. Right, okay. George, Dr George was Charlie McLean's father. He wrote a fantastic book on oh, the place names of Mark. It's yes. incredibly detailed, it down is. to the, the third decimal point in your grid <laughs> reference. It's extraordinary. Um, so how how did he come to, to make that book, that great book? Well, it started basically as an interest in ruined settlements uh, around the island. In the early 60s, they started coming regularly to Mull at Easter time. Uh, to stay with Auntie, that's Aunt Mora, who had Colleen and Tobermory by this time. Oh, yeah. The Dolphin Street. Yes, that's right. And Charlie and his wife Grace brought their three children every Easter, and the children still come at Easter, even now. We'd all go out on expeditions together. We're very close. And um, Charlie and my dad, although they were cousins, were more like brothers, really, in the relationship. And uh, so we'd go visiting these places and the younger ones of us would say, oh, no, not another ruin. And I wish now I'd paid a wee bit more of attention at the time. Uh, but anyway, this led to an interest in the place names. And when my, once my dad retired from work, he and Charlie would go out together seeing the older people around the island and my dad would make recordings and Charlie would wow. interview them and talk to them about the Gaelic names. Wow. And, where they came from, that sort of thing. So his his book really does go back to basics. It's not just looking at other people's work. It's it's uh, he's done the basic work himself. You're actually sitting beside a box of your grandfather, uh, your uh, father's recordings. Oh, really? Yeah, there's some of them in there, and that's why the the big reel to reel tape machines on the desk there. I thought I recognised that handwriting on the reels. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to carry on that work in a way. Yes, really I definitely it. see that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, that's cool. So, can you describe your father to me? What was he like? <laughs> oh, a great sense of humour. He loved stories and jokes and things like that. 
particularly if they were based on the island. Yeah. He came home one day having been over visiting in Dervig. I think that must have been in the 1960s, although that's a bit of a guess. And he'd met one of the locals that he knew and they were chatting. And this was after the second graveyard was opened up in Dervig on Kilmore Hill. And uh, this uh, Dervig local said to my dad, you know, Donald, there's not a living soul buried in that new cemetery yet. <laughs> and uh, that's that's one that sticks in my memory. I think it's very funny, that one. But he'd love things, things like that. <laughs> yes. I love that kind of wordplay, yeah. That's brilliant. Well, there's uh, is that the gravestone where there's uh, a woman who's buried and the gravestone says, wife to all? <laughs> but it's worn away, it's wife to Alan. Alan, yes, that's right, yes. <laughs> Then, of course, that's the site of the fantastic fight in uh, When Eight Bells Toll. That's right. Yes, there. yes. Aye. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, so your mother, how did she find moving to Mal? I mean, wartime's a different period, but how did she find coming here and being here, do you think? Well, I I think she loved it. She actually came because her sister was here in Tobermory. Her sister's husband uh, was in the Navy during the war and uh, Tobermory was a great naval base. And so uh, my Uncle Bill was stationed there. My mum's sister said to her, why don't you come up and stay with us for a bit? Help me with the children. Get away from the bombing on Merseyside. So that's what my mum did. And in fact, she got a job as a nanny for the Allens at Aris. Uh-huh. So uh, she she loved that. Yeah, it was uh, a very happy time of her life. So she was well settled in Tobermory by the time she met my dad. So she she was quite happy to stay here and not go back to the big smoke. <laughs> so your mum's from, from England, your dad's from Langemal. Mm. And uh, where, the, it was Argyll Terrace you were born? That's right, yes. Which yes. was the house in Argyll Terrace? Dorland View. If, if you know Argyll Terrace, there's a steepish bit in the road and there's a few steps on the pavement and it's the house just at the top of the steps there. And do you remember the, the house growing up as a child? I do, yes. What was it like? It was quite small, mm-hmm. just two bedrooms. And the kitchen was at the back of the house and the kitchen was quite dark because the back of the kitchen, there was a huge window, but on the other side of the window was just a stone retaining wall because the back garden was much higher than the ground floor of the house. (laughs) And I remember once looking out the window and seeing a rat outside in the rain. didn't bother me as a child. I said to my my mum, oh, look at the poor rat. Can we not bring him in? (laughs) No. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I guess if you were born there, you went to school further down the road. I did. Where Antoper was. Yes. How was that as a school? What was the experience of going to school in Tobermory like? Uh, it was good. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed primary school. I still have memories of some lessons that were taught there. Uh, so they must have been interesting for me to remember them. I didn't enjoy secondary school so much. didn't find it really very challenging. It was just writing lots of notes that were dictated by most of the teachers. Although I, I enjoyed the languages. That was quite good. Who were the language teachers in those days? Um, Chrissy McIver taught French and Latin, and she taught English as well. She became Chrissy McIntyre, latterly. So I was quite happy to go away to Auburn at the end of second year and yeah. Although I actually hated living in Auburn for that first year, yeah. uh, I enjoyed school much better. 
Do you, are there any um, names of your primary teachers that stick out and characters particularly? Oh yes, I can. I think I can remember them all. There was uh, Mrs. Mackenzie, known as Tui. I don't know what her nickname meant, but she right. was known as Tui. She was very musical, uh-huh. uh, and I think had something to do with the Gaelic choir at the time. Mm-hmm. And she was the, the sort of infant teacher, Miss Macdonald, who I believe is still alive. Uh, she was one of the Macdonalds of Springbank, Jessie Macdonald. Yes. I, uh, John's auntie. I that's guess. right. Yeah, yes, yes. Yes. And then uh, that's Chrissy McIver was um, the next teacher up. I think I was with her for two years, primary four and five, I think. And then Miss Carmichael was primary six and seven, but she went off ill uh, for quite a lengthy time, and we had Mrs. Wilson, the vet's wife, who oh. stepped in, and she was lovely. I really enjoyed her. Did she come up from down at Fishnish every day? No, uh, at that time they lived in Tubermory, right. at the top of Viewmount Drive, the house, the big house at the top of the drive there. Ah, yeah. So that's where they were for the first few years they were on Mull. Right. Mm. So you've got your school 200 yards down the road? Mm, something like you've that, You've got the house yes. 200 yards up from that. You've got your secondary school 250 yards yes. away from that. What was... Tobermory like as a child? What was your world like as a child? Very different to what it is now. Yeah. Um, well, going along the main street, you could buy almost anything you wanted. There was, I think, three butchers at one time. Really? Yeah. Or it might even have been four. There was Alec Yule's, he had a um, grocer's shop and a butcher's shop next to each other where Tackle and Books is. Next to that, where there's a cafe now, that was the chemist shop. But by the time I was a child, there was no longer a pharmacist there, but right. it, was, it was just fancy goods. There was Margaret McDonald who had the sweetie shop, where I had a sort of fancy goods shop now, next to Seafarer. The uh, one with the womble outside of it. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yes. Oh, that was a fantastic shop, the sweetie shop. Every sweet you could imagine. <sighs> Great. <laughs> what was it, when you walked into it, was it glass jars lining the wall? What was it? Yes. Oh. It, there was a, um, the counter was a, a glass cabinet uh, full of all sorts of temptations. And I, I still remember seeing Terry's chocolate oranges for the first time and thinking, oh, I'd love one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but they were very expensive, so I was Aye. quite a bit older before I had one. But uh, no, it was a fantastic shop. And there would be a penny tray with uh, if you just had a penny or two to spend you could choose something from that it was great and then next to that where seafair is now the chandler ships chandlers was daisy craig's tobermory treasure shop i've heard of this yeah Yeah. what was that well it was all sorts she sold clothing right nice woolly jumpers blouses stockings but she also sold what were probably more touristy things, might be some pottery, jewellery, okay. but the sort of fancy goods that anyone visiting might want to go and buy as a memory of Tubermory. Ah. So the museum wasn't there at that point, was it? No. I think when I was a very young child, there might have been a butcher's there. Right, OK. But I really remember it as being Daisy Craig's storeroom because right. it was part of her property. Ah, right, OK. And that house was, that building was owned by two old ladies, I believe. That's right. Daisy and, well, she had two sisters. 
Jesse, who was the town clerk when oh, right. to- when Tobermory was a borough. Yeah. And I can't remember her other sister who came back to Tobermory and worked in the shop with Daisy when she was older. When did it stop being a borough, do you know? Or why did it stop being a borough, more importantly? Well, it was all to do with the reorganisation of oh, the... county uh, lines. Yes. Right, yes. OK. It was when... Argyle became part of Strathclyde. Right. That's when Tobermory stopped being a borough. Right. Where would you go for your main shop? Or was there no main shop? It was a collection of shops. It was a collection, yeah. There was there was the co-op, uh, which there is now, but looked very different. And the co-op had a butcher's attached to it too. There was the baker's, Jimmy Wright, and his wife had the baker's shop where the uh, Mull Silver shop is now. Right. Uh, but they also had groceries, general groceries as well as being a baker's. So I remember my mum shopping in there. There was McFarlane's where, you know, where would the whale watch yes, yeah, places yeah. now? And I think, is that a cafe? Oh, it was. It's there's a Chinese restaurant next to that. Mm-hmm. That was all McFarlane's shop. Oh, that was a lovely shop. Oh, what I, was in there? That was a grocer's and uh, drapers. Oh, and you could buy oh. shoes in there as well. Goodness me. So you can see why I could say you could buy yeah, totally. anything you needed. With Browns just up the road That's as well. That's right, the Ironmongers, yes. Yeah. Yes, that one's still there. Yeah. But what I remember about McFarland's shop is the butter. They used to buy butter in huge, I would say they're probably about two foot high, sort of rounds of butter, and they had the butter pats, and they'd cut the bit off the weight that you wanted and pat it up with the butter pats. And wow. Wrap it in grease proof, I can remember that. That's brilliant. Mm. And so for a treat, if you were going to go out for a, a meal as a family or just as just with friends, where would you go in Tobermory at that point in time for somewhere mm-hmm. to eat? Would it be but one of the pubs? We never did. Ah, right. <laughs> for a treat, my dad would take me to the Cozy Cafe for a nice cream drink. <laughs> nice. Now, the Cozy Cafe was quite something way ahead of its time. Yes. It was where the um, Tobermory Hotel is now. Yeah, yeah. And it had a jukebox. Yes. <laughs> and a huge coffee machine. You know, they were really into the coffee then. And these ice cream soda drinks that were just lovely. <laughs> and who was it that had that at the time, do you remember? John and Iso here. Who were they? That's a good question. Yeah. I've got a feeling they might have come from Lismore originally. Right. But I'm not absolutely sure about that. So as a teenager, when um, I guess you were... When you were a teenager of the 60s are kind of in full swing. Mm, yes. What yes. was it like living in Oban as a, a young school person in the 60s? What was, were you conscious of popular movements and music? And I was never really into music, not popular music. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not aware of that. We, I had my group of friends and went to Sea Rangers on a Friday night. and Up to Glasgow? No, not not to see Ranger. Sea Ranger, as an S E A. I was going to say, you're wearing a green top. <laughs> no, Sea ah. Rangers, as in big girl guides, but to sea. do with the sea. Ah, so what all sort of stuff did you do with the Sea Rangers? Oh, we uh, learned to tie knots, and we had a rowing boat. We'd go out on a fine summer's evening. Was that towards Kilbowie or? Yeah, it was. Yes, there's the 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 hut that we met in is still there. I don't know if it's a yacht club a hut or what. Right. I'm not sure. But I used to stay in lodgings because there wasn't enough space right. in 
the girls hostel for all the girls at that time. And the first year I absolutely hated because mm. I was there. I could see my home across the water and wasn't very happy in the lodgings that I was in. Mm. I moved and after that school got better, the, the gym teacher began to like me because I got interested in skiing. We used to go oh, to cool. Glencoe cool skiing. Wow. <laughs> that sort of thing, yes. So it got bet- a lot better after after the third year. That's brilliant. Hmm. I remember we went for a week to Glenmore Lodge. Must have been during one of the holidays. Maybe half a dozen or more of us went. And that was fantastic. You know, got proper lessons and really enjoyed that. When you were growing up, were the significant characters in Tobermory and Mull? Are there any that stick out in particular? Well, I remember Angie Henderson because he used to have a blacksmith's at the back of Dorland View where I ah. spent the first few years of my childhood. And I remember the horses coming to get shooed there. Cool. I remember his uh, his bellows, you know, for heating up the furnace. Yeah. And uh, I can remember all of that. Um that was really good to have that memory. And he would have been Janet MacDonald's grandfather, I think. Right. I think so. I remember Bobby MacLeod. Oh, yeah. Because of his accordion playing. And yeah. Of course, he had the Mission Hotel. And he became provost of Tubermory when it was still a borough. Oh, McGoughan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what can you describe McGoughan? Because Duncan's memories of McGoughan are wonderful. Yes, I I listened to Duncan talking about him. I learned so much from it because he was just a character in my memory up until then. But he lived in one of the flats that was sort of sort of above my dad's garage, but not quite above where the post office is now. Mm-hmm. So he was always around if I was down at the garage, but he worked at the pier. I don't know where his name McGoughan came from, but we shortened it even further to Gochi. That's what we knew him as, was Gochi. I have a clear memory of um, one time, I don't know what age I'd be, four, five, six, round about that, when my mother's parents came up for a break over New Year. And they were going back down south and caught the claymore from Tobermory, mm. which you could do in those days. And so we went down to the pier with them and my mum and bad dad went on board to help with the suitcases. I stayed on the pier. I could see the boat was getting ready to leave and I was getting a bit panicky because my mum and da- mummy and daddy were on that boat. Anyway, Gawkey came to console me a bit and uh, my mum came running down the gangplank. They'd untied the ropes, but she managed to get off. Then the gangplank was taken away and I was in tears by this time because my beloved daddy was still on the boat and I'd never, ever see him again. (laughs) That was, of course, what I thought as a child. Anyway, the boat just started to leave the pier. My dad appeared in, you know, the doorway quite a bit above the level of the pier and just jumped from the boat onto the pier. (laughs) Well, I was a very relieved child when that happened. But Gawkey was there to to comfort me when I didn't have my parents. (laughs) That's really dramatic. Yes. This is all sort of stuff you'll have night about, nightmares about for years. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's lovely to get a flavour of uh, the piers in operation. Mm. That's really yes. cool. And we'd go down in the afternoon just for something to do, to see the boat coming in, mm. see who came off the boat. I don't know, but some t- about four o'clock in the afternoon, I think it was. 
what was your consciousness of the rest of the island when you were uh, growing up? Were you, you were obviously aware, very much aware of Langemol and mm. Calgary, I presume, mm. as well. Oh, yes, but you never went to Calgary. It was far too busy. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. you see, in those days, people didn't know about Langemol because it mm. was a bit of a walk to get to it. If there was one other family there, it was crowded. But I can remember Rab Butler being there. Because, oh, you know, he used to own Frackadil. I remember hearing this, um, yeah. And he'd come up on, in the summer and, uh, of course, came down to uh, Langmore Beach. And I was just wandering along the beach and he was getting changed out of his cosy. I was wandering past one So it's Peely Wally Bum. <laughs> yeah, I did, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Bit cold. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, but uh, the rest of them all, I, I was very fortunate because of my dad having the garage. Aye. We were one of the few people who had a car of their own. Oh, brilliant. Yes. So we, I, my dad would take me, if I wasn't at school, if it was holiday time, he'd take me places he was going to. So I can remember going to Treshnish with him when the Rankins had Treshnish. Wow. He'd be working on the generator there or something yeah. like that. And I remember Lady Jean Rankin taking me to show me the ducks because her husband had wildfowl. Right. Uh, He was a bit of a conservationist. Right. I don't know what he did with them all, but they were living there, you know. Mm -hmm. They had their their own area and she showed me around that and fed me on huge sultanas. (laughs) I remember that quite clearly. I remember going to uh, Greben. Yeah. Um, My dad doing something there. So we'd go... You know, all over the island, really. But, but my dad had a cousin who lived over at Oscobol, near Alva Ferry. Yeah. And I, I just love having this memory because I feel such a privilege in the time that I've lived in because my dad's cousin and his sister, they lived in one half of two adjoining cottages. They had no electricity, no running water, no indoor toilet. So we'd go out on a Sunday to see them. So the routine was go in the afternoon to get buckets of water from the well. When it was beginning to get dark, the tilly lights, lamps would get lit. It's a lovely quality of light. Oh, yes. And I can remember them being pumped up, you know, to get the pressure, yes. Yeah. Tea was always boiled eggs and they'd be cooked on the open range. And I'd have to go outside to the uh, to the toilet, which was an earth toilet. Yeah. I've got that memory, which really belongs to very old people. And I don't think I'm very old yet. No, not at all. <laughs> but I've got that memory from my childhood. And yet here I live in an age of computers and goodness knows what. 4G and yes, 5G. Yes. Yeah. So it's quite which, something. So which houses uh, were those? Well, they don't exist now because uh, there was quite a bad fire. And they were gutted in the 70s. But there's a big new house on their footprint. You drive towards Salon from Alva Ferry and you begin to go up the hill. Mm-hmm. You pass Oscomo House or Farm. Yeah. And then just up on the hillside on your left is a big white house, I think. Goodness me. So what did they do for a living, that, that, that side of the family? Well, we lucky, as he was known, he was lucky McNeil. He, he worked for Lady Congleton. I couldn't tell you exactly what he did. He might have operated the ferry for a bit. I don't right. know. But he worked for her anyway, whatever it was he did. I remember going over to Alva and being very aware of them. I remember Lady Congleton and, and the big house. And I remember 
the smell of azaleas. I'd never come across azaleas before, and that perfume that they have is so distinctive right. from the gardens there. Yes. So you were at Oban, mm-hmm. and you're studying uh, secondary s- s- subjects in Oban. What subjects did you stand, uh, study that, that, that you enjoyed? Maths. I loved maths. What was it about maths that got you, do you think? It was just like a big puzzle to me that needed mm. to be solved. I loved doing that. Who was your maths teacher? Well, I had few while I was there, but the one I really remember is uh, John J. Mackay, who became an MP. Yes. And I remember him just really throwing a hissy fit one day because we couldn't remember the formula for, I don't know, working out the area of a triangle, say, as an example. And no one in the class could come up with it. But after that, I learnt my formula. I knew them well after that. So I remember him. But I loved geography as well. And I can remember my geography teacher. He was very good. But strangely enough, one of my teachers contacted me about 18 months ago. And this is a teacher I, I grew quite close to when I was in sixth form. No, before that, because we used to get Friday afternoons to do activities. Yeah. And I started doing uh, seamanship mm-hmm. on a Friday afternoon with Norma McLeod. And he was also the navigation teacher. So as an extra subject to fill my timetable in sixth form, I did uh, O-level navigation. So I got to know him really well. And he found out I'd returned to Mull and got my phone number from a friend of his daughter's and phoned me up. And it was a real blast from the past. And I went over to Owen and met up with him again. That was lovely. My dad used to have his own sailing boat. It was uh, a converted skiff. And he built a deck and a cabin on it. And he and I would go away in it uh, for just one night originally. The first time I went was over to the Dorlin just to see how I'd fair being away from home but it was fine and then we'd go for longer and we'd go for weekends out to the Treshnish Islands and oh amazing yes and then later when I was a bit older we'd go up over around Arnhemurchen and up to Canna and over to Skye wow it was great did you ever see John Lauren Campbell in Canna no I didn't Ah. but we met up with Tex Geddes the Hebridean Sharker oh yes yes what was he like Well, I just remember him and my dad chatting for hours on end. <laughs> Before we leave Tobermory to come back to, to Mull later on, I hadn't realised until the first episode of the podcast went out that, that uh, your dad was uh, Donald Langamall, because the first time I'd heard him mentioned was through conversation with Duncan. Mm-hmm. What was Duncan like when he was younger? Oh, I love Duncan. We all love Duncan. Yes. <laughs> but you see, Duncan was a big part of my life yeah. for the first few years of it. Yeah. Uh, because he was where my dad worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember getting a lift in his motorbike. He had a motorbike and sidecar. And I remember him taking my mum and I home from the main street in the in the sidecar. Nice. More than once, you know, it was, it was great. And every Christmas I'd get a Christmas present from Duncan. And he always said he'd marry me, you see, when, <laughs> when I was old enough. But he met Maura before that oh, happened. Wow, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it was great. Hmm. I remember his, his mother as well, because he, he lived with his mother in Hillcrest. Yes. And she was the church organist. What was she like? I remember she seemed to me a little old lady, but mm. very pleasant because I'd quite often go to their house when Duncan's brother and his family came up, and I used to, I used to play with uh, Duncan's niece and nephew, so uh, I came across her quite a bit, and she was lovely, 
lovely to the children. Mm. Where did your adventures take you after Oban? <laughs> That's a question you can ask of anyone, but <laughs> I'd rather be very quickly know. I was ne- I was never one for following the crowd. Yeah, and I wanted to do something different. I really wanted to be a pilot. That that was my wow. my dream. But I was a wee bout, bit out of time in that. Of being a girl, I just couldn't find anyone who would sponsor me to train uh-huh. me as a pilot, and the RAF wouldn't take me because I was a girl and. Well, they take me to do other things, but not to be a pilot. Yeah. I started what I thought was the next best thing, and that was to study aeronautical engineering. And I went to um, Queen's University, Belfast. Oh, brilliant. And spent four years there. But the first year, that was my engineering year. And although I enjoyed bits of it, and although maths was my favourite subject at school, it rapidly became my least favourite subject because there was quite a gap between the curriculum in Scotland and the curriculum in Northern Ireland, which followed the English school's right. curriculum much more closely. Big gaps in my learning in maths. And I thought, oh, gosh, this isn't for me at all. So I took my next favourite subject, and that was geography. And I was allowed to change subjects, which okay. I was very fortunate about. Geography then just led me to geology, which I studied alongside it. And in fact, I ended up doing a degree in geology. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Wow. How was Belfast at that time? Well, I went in 1969, the year the Troubles started. I can see, yeah. Uh, but I grew up with the Troubles, really. And although it was it was very apparent, you know, there'd be bombs yeah. going off and, oh, that was a loud one. I wonder how big that one was, you'd think, you know. And you got used to going into the shops and having your bag searched. You just automatically open your bag for people to see what was in it. And the army was ever-present. And I remember going home on the bus in my first year, um, going through East Belfast and seeing barricades being set up. And, of course, stupidly told my mum and dad about this who became very worried about me. Of course. Uh, And, by the way, I was staying with Charlie McLean at this time. He Ah. was over in Belfast with his family. So I stayed with them, and that's partly what made Belfast Great fun for me. They were all smashing. Uh, so my dad got um, a second-hand mini and did it up for me. And he and I worked all the summer holidays at the end of my first year on this mini. Brilliant. And I was one of the few lucky students to have a car. <laughs> but that meant I could skirt around the edges of Belfast to get to university and avoid all the problem areas after that. Did you make the most of having a car when you lived in Belfast as well? Did you get way I out? did. went... Loads of travelling, but not so much in my own car, but I joined the Geography and Geology Societies and we'd go away for weekends in the uh, Student Union minibus to stay in various youth hostels all over Northern and Southern Ireland. Oh, it was a great life. Really good. From Belfast, where did you go after that with your geology geology degree? Well, I never never kept up with it for a while. Um, I joined the civil service and... uh, it worked in a job centre and was thoroughly bored and thought, I can't go through the rest of my life like this and spoke to one or two people and said, is, is work like this? Is it always boring working? And I had a friend who was a teacher and she was never bored. Right, okay. And uh, I thought, oh, I think this is what I need to do. I retrained as a teacher, went back to college for a year to Edinburgh, right. uh, to Murray House. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, retrained and just loved it. Fantastic. Never got bored again after that. (laughs) What was your subject? Well, I started off teaching geography and geology 
I was really fortunate that I got a job in Dalkeith High School, which no longer exists. Oh. Um, not the, not the school I taught in. Yeah. But the headmaster was keen to have this new subject in his curriculum. So I was allowed to teach geology for Brilliant. as long as I was there. Just as small classes, but the ones who chose it loved it. Yeah. They were so enthusiastic and we had great fun. So how did you meet Mr Nick Evans then? <laughs> well, that's an interesting story. story. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the strange thing is that Nick knew my parents before he ever knew me. He came up on holiday because, you know, Andrew, his brother, lives uh, just outside Dervig with Anne. And Nick used to come up on holiday to stay with Anne and Andrew and help out doing things uh, around the house and the garden, cutting down trees, that sort of thing. He met my mum and dad because my mum and dad were like honorary grandparents to Janet, uh, Anne and Andrew's elder daughter, because my mum would look after her a while and went to work for a couple of days a week and so one Christmas in 1987 Anne and Andrew asked my mum and dad over for Christmas dinner and of course I was invited because I was at home on holiday at the time and Nick was up and that's how we met and the rest is history. Oh fantastic, that's lovely, yeah. But I always thought it was a bit strange how we met in circumstances very similar to my mum and dad, in that Nick was up because his brother was living on Mull. My mum came to Mull because his, her mm. sister was living on Mull, both from England. And mm. whereas I was working away from my the yeah. island, as my dad had been, we were both home on holiday and we met these English people. Yeah. You know, it's like a bit like history repeating Indeed. itself. Did it start off in Edinburgh then, or where did you go? No, in fact, Nick was um, had his own business down in Lancaster. He was a, a screen printer, designer and screen printer. Oh. Uh, so we weighed up the pros and cons, whether it would be easier for Nick to move his business to Edinburgh and start building up a new clientele, or for me to get a teaching job. And we decided it was probably easier for me to get a teaching job, so I moved down there. And that's what happened. I did get a teaching job. What then was the impetus to come back to Mull? Why why come back all the way here when you're in a wonderful place down there? Well, although the surrounding area is lovely, it's still still busy. Yeah. There was a motorway just half a mile from our house and you were conscious that it was always there when you were out in the garden. Nick had always wanted to come and live in Scotland because of his hobbies, hill walking, fishing, that sort of thing. And Scotland was always part of me. It always felt different to England. It was home, whereas England never was really home, you know. So we thought long and hard about where to move to. I felt as though I still wanted to stay on the West Coast, but we thought, but where on West Coast Scotland do we want to live? There's no way I was going back to Auburn to live, having been there to school. (laughs) And we thought, what about Mull? So we came up on holiday, brought a couple of friends with us, We've got a holiday house outside Dervig, 
which had, had been Jack and Jean Westhorpe's house. We stayed there, had the most wonderful week, perfect weather. It was just after Easter and, you know, Brian and Sandy, our friends, said to me, why would you not want to come and live here? Well, that was, the seed was sown yeah. and we ended up back here. <laughs> was the choice right? Do you think the choice, what age were you when you came to Mull? Come back to Mull, yeah. I was uh, 59. Was that the right time to come back to Mull, do you think? It was, yes. I'm sure it was. What makes you say that? Well, I'd experienced life away from the island. If you'd spoken to me any time up till my late 50s and said to me, well, why would you not want to go and live on Mull? I'd say, oh, no, I'd never go back and live on an island again. I don't want to be dictated to by ferries. That was That was the thing, because all my life... I have lived in fear of missing the ferry, whether it's getting off the island, but more strongly getting back onto it again. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd absolutely hate to miss the ferry. So that put me off ever coming to live on Mull. But then as I got older, I thought, well, what does it matter if you miss the ferry? You know, it, but maybe you see that's going back to the time when my dad nearly got carried away by the boat. <laughs> yeah. So, no, the ferry didn't really matter that much anymore as I got older. So... <laughs> That was okay. <laughs> Earlier on, you mentioned your grandfather. Mm. What was your grandfather like? My granddad was a very quiet man, very unassuming. But I have a picture of him in my mind that I'll never, ever forget because he wore very distinctive clothing. He used to wear corduroy breeches that came down to just below his knees and long stockings. But I never thought that was strange because that's just what granddad wore. No one else I knew wore that sort of clothing. That's what he wore. <laughs> And he'd wear a tweed jacket with it and a cap. And he had a suit that he'd wear on Sundays, but it didn't look like him when he wore proper yeah. trousers, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But when he gave up the farm, he went to Canada for a year or so. Right. And my dad and grandmother stayed at home on Mull. But that wasn't successful for him. I don't know why. But So he came back to Mull and the family went to live in Tobermory. And it's around that time, we're talking 1920s, that Auntie, Auntie Morag, but we always all just called her Auntie, she bought Colleen. And my granddad built a wooden shop in the garden of Colleen. Ah, There's no sign of it now. Right. But if you're going up Albert Street and you've got Colleen on your right, then there's an area along the side of the road where there's just hedge might be a fence and hedge yeah, yeah that's where the shop used to be and the lower right. part of the garden and it was very successful because it was the only grocer's shop in the upper part of the town ah right okay so i remember him having that as i was a child and i used to love going up to the shop to granted yeah. and be given a slice of cheese and a glug of lemonade that sort of thing nice <laughs> so he had that i think until the early 60s and then it didn't Maybe he it wasn't quite so successful because okay. people began shopping down on the main street more and Tobermory was just changing a bit and he was getting older and not yeah. in the best of health so he gave up the shop then. Was he always wearing his britches behind the counter? He was, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. So who for you when you were growing up do you think was the most significant person in your life in Tobermory outside of your immediate family? Oh. I suppose it might have been the various ministers that we had because I can remember them. I remember Angus MacLeod, who was the minister. when He's the first one I remember when I, I was a child, and he was lovely. 
And then I remember Mr. Brown. I remember him because he used to take us for Bible class after the service and he started a youth club for us on a Friday, I think it was a Friday evening, down in what is now the Free Church. Oh, right, okay. The, it was a big hall in those days. Uh, so it was quite innovative, really, to have a youth club in Tobermory at that time. Yeah. So that was great fun. I think after that there was Gordon Holroyd. He was the next one. So they were, I remember the ministers because my mum was a church gourmet. Right. My dad wasn't particularly, he would go out and roam the hills on a Sunday morning nice. when my mum went to church. Went to church yeah. but, and I'd go to Sunday school. So I suppose it's, I remember the ministers most of all. <laughs> well, the other thing I remember about school was um, milk. It used to be the Bowmans who supplied the milk. Yes. I, mean, in fact, I remember Bertie Bowman coming around with his van yeah. to the households in the town and my mum would go out with her jug and get milk from the churn in the back of the van. But in school, it would be left hooked to the gatepost, a big metal uh, container with milk in it. And the milk monitor would have to go and get the milk. And in winter, it would be semi-frozen by yeah. this time. We used to love it, get poured into our beakers. But it was great excitement when milk bottles were introduced. Just like they used to get on the mainland. We had those in Tupper School. Oh, <laughs> You mentioned about the drama fest, mm. drama festival. What was that like? It was always a very busy, stressful time in our household. <laughs> um, my dad was the one responsible for the lighting, right? And you know, we're, to- we're talking about nineteen fifties, early sixties. It was a very professional do, really, because uh, he had a, a dimmer set up. He, he would build a build a platform with scaffolding and boards above the what was the back stairs in those days. And I used to dread that time of constructing this platform and taking it down again and getting this huge bit of equipment up onto it that must have weighed half a ton. But that was so he could be above the stage and see what was going on and and do all the right uh, setting of the lighting up uh, for the different plays. My mum was involved with it as well. They were both keen. My dad would produce a play for the Tobermory Amateur Dramatic Group. Brilliant. And uh, for a while, my mum would uh, be in the plays as well. And it was a big event. It filled the whole week in yeah. those days. And tickets would go like hotcakes. And somebody would come from, I think it was Dunoon, to sort of oversee the setup of it. It was a yeah. big thing because the winner would then go off to the county drama festival and uh, I'd take part in that. And there'd be lots of children's plays, adults' plays from Benesson and I think Dervig and mm-hmm. Tobermory. There was more than one in Tobermory because there was the Amateur Dramatic Club. There was the Galleon Players that uh, Finnegan, can't remember his first name. Right. He started them off. And so it was a great competitive time. But, of course, with all the uh, last-minute rehearsals and things, with both my parents being involved, it was a good job my grandfather lived with us because he was there to look after me during that week. Uh, but it was it was a really exciting time. It was always in March. Well, thank you so much for your time. That's absolutely wonderful. It's been lovely talking about it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Catherine.
and it was utterly brilliant to get a chance to chat together. I really appreciate that. The music for this episode was recorded at a Cayley in Penmore Mill earlier on in the week. Sarah Bond and Jane Eklund from the States were across with some friends, and we managed to get a tune with Ian Morrison. These are magical moments that I'm very lucky to get to take part in. Sarah is the most wonderful flute player and writer of very fine tunes, so do investigate her music further on sarahbaun.com, which is S-A-R-A-H-B-A-U-H-A-N.com. Thanks for playing along, Sarah, Jane, guys. I really appreciate it. Here's to more tunes soon. I love how there's a tiny wee slip at one point in this episode when Catherine says, My island, the island. That's very special indeed, and it testifies to a sense of belonging and connectedness that so many people feel with their home. I think it's really beautiful. That story of the boat and Donald leaping from it is the sort of thing that would have terrified me as a kid for years to come. I've gone on a wee bit of a marketing drive for the podcast of late, so if you look at the website or the links in the notes for this episode, you can see a short film about the podcast with footage of Mal, Hayona and Alva. I didn't manage to get to Gometra for any of the footage, I'm sorry. One thing I forgot to put at the end of the film is a thank you to the listeners and supporters of the podcast. We're not far off 20,000 listens, and that's incredible. I'm just over the moon, so thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. And it's really interesting to see the stats, because you're listening all over the world, too. There are so many countries on the stats, it's quite remarkable. So a special thanks to our listener in Brunei, whoever you are. It's lovely to see you there popping up. Thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello and give me more information about things. That's always fantastic too. Cheers. If you want to support the podcast, you can spread the word. Leave a review on whichever platform you use to listen to it, or if you felt able or wanted to, you can make a donation via PayPal or Patreon. As ever, thanks so much for listening. It's an utter privilege to share these stories with you. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Shinakate. Morning tang. Yeah, I have a gun. Dark, lock the guards.